Want to be a part of the podcast network that actually likes things? Well, now you can join the Front Row Network by supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash front row network to unlock all of the dozens of special perks that come from being one of our patrons, including exclusive episodes, on-air shout-outs, Ask Me Anything sessions, and even the ability to guest star on an episode of your choosing. That's right. Go to patreon.com slash front row network to unlock all these special features with tiers starting as low as $1 a month. What are we nuts? Of course we are. You've heard our shows. $1 a month can get you so much bonus content that you will not know what to do with it. So go to once again to patreon.com slash front row network to join up with us. And hey, we will see you in the front row. The door that finally opens with life flooding in spilling. Hello, everybody out there in podcast land, and welcome to another episode of Flashbacks Presents Raised by Wolves. This spinoff series is different from our normal episode structure, whereas normally we break down the movies of our past and how they've influenced current pop culture and events. Today, we flip the script and we're looking at a brand new show that came out on HBO Max and has been heavily influenced by many movies we have and will cover on the Front Row Flashbacks. Today, we're going to break down episodes five and six of Raised by Wolves and talk about the pop culture influences that this show proudly wears on its shoulder and about the greater discussion of artificial intelligence and our reliance on technology. Along for this conversation is my co-host and the sci-fi siren of this operation, Aaron McCabe. How's it going, Aaron? Jay, I just looked up the definition of siren, and it is a woman who sings with enchanting sweetness. So what a nice way to introduce me. And I don't you know that you looked up the whole way. definition of siren. <laughs> I was reading off the nice version. <laughs> um, I am great. My refrigerator, if you guys have been tuning in, still not fixed. Still got a second refrigerator in our living room. There's a full moon out tonight. It's October 1st as we record this. It hailed here up in Chicago. And so if this is any indication of how the month is going to go, I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm here for it. How about you? Sounds like a month full of spooky. We did not get hail here in uh, good old Springfield, uh, where I hail from. <laughs> there is... <laughs> Uh, pretty good weather, actually. Pretty nice, but I'm I'm sorry your your technology woes are still affecting you. Um, but it is pretty cool. You got a fridge in your living room, so my kids enjoy it. They love it. <laughs> they're like, "Hey, mom, pass me a beer," and you're like, "You're too, damn it!" I mean, they're literally in the fridge constantly. <laughs> like sometimes we're like, "Where's Ben?" Who's my youngest? And he's literally in between the door and the fridge, like just eating things. <laughs> He's like, I mean, if the fridge is in the living room, you know, you might as well, right. Mom. <laughs> right. Turn on that macho and the bear, Mom. <laughs> Which is oh. the worst. So how'd you like these episodes? Oh, man. I, you know, we keep saying it, like, every, since we're doing it in twos, um, the first two, you can tell we were just kind of warming up. Episode three and four, we were like, all right, yeah, getting into this. Now I'm really starting to feel emotionally invested in the storyline and also some of the different characters even more so so really enjoying it what about you 
I love it. I So we've talked, we had talked about doing a show on Westworld that never uh, came to fruition. And there's some similarities with artificial intelligence. And uh, I guess you could call them, it. I guess they're androids on the show, the, the, the robots from uh, the Westworld. Right, so there's, they were there's, hosts. Yeah, so there's some similarities. Mm-hmm. I'm liking this better. I'm liking this better than Westworld. Mm. And I'll, I'll tell you why. I think the story is less convoluted. Uh, I, I, I like the beginning of Westworld a lot more than I liked the end. So don't worry. This show has plenty of time to let me down. I liked the end of Westworld, <laughs> but I thought it started off much stronger. And then I thought the story trying to dive into the artificial intelligence got a little convoluted and so far i'm really liking the trajectory of this and i don't think it's getting so bogged down and complicated backstory the backstory is pretty straightforward on this and i think that i think i just like prefer a storytelling method that doesn't have all these plot twists and turns and things to throw you off and um that's what i thought westworld did at the end they had a bunch of plot devices to try and make you not know exactly where it was going instead of just telling a story. I could see that. I could see that. This is the guys, this is the point in the show in which this is the point in the show about raised by wolves where we talk about Westworld. So gear up. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, No, I agree with you. I love Westworld and I know a lot of people that fell off after season one or like tried to make it through season two. I really enjoyed all of it. And especially in season three, there were real world implications. We've talked about that, like their algorithmic Rehoboam and everything. Um, But there's definitely parallels between this show uh, Raised by Wolves and Westworld in exactly like um, not only technology, technology's use, but just uh, the sentience and the humanity that are actually even still in the androids hosts and the, in the intelligence, the human created intelligence. So I'm looking forward to Westworld season four. I'm still there. I'm there for it, but um, is there going to be a season four? What, what'd you say? Is there going to be one? I thought it was over. I, no, I think so. I think Maeve is going to come back. I love Maeve. I'm team Maeve. If anyone needs to know that. Um, <laughs> not in Westworld. Uh, I think, I thought, I hope in my heart that Westworld comes out with a season three, but I don't know. We'll have to talk about this in Raised by Wolves. But I'm interested because I felt like the story was wrapped up. <laughs> it could very well end on season three. I agree. They could walk away and it would be fine. They really could. Um, I thought they were going to do something else, but you're right. If they stopped it, it would be okay. Westworld was originally, I believe, a TV series written by Michael Crichton. And yeah, I thought it was a movie. Uh, movie? Uh, okay, yeah, it was a movie. So they had that original content to go off of and then kind of right went off their own trail. Um, but Raised by Wolves, is this all original work, Jay? Yes. Nice. Yes. Uh, I, I just listened to an, oh, they interviewed, uh, on another podcast, the writer, uh, and he talked you know, the influences we're mentioning. I mean, he mentioned those were heavy, heavy influences. 
uh, on his trajectory with this show. So, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, I think it's just, and, and then I just mentioned to Aaron, I found there is, is a one-off nine page comic book that gives us uh, a little bit of backstory to uh, some of what happened to earth, why the necromancers were created and things of that nature. So it's a free download. So if you haven't read it, it's, it's, it's really pretty succinct and to the point, but it gives some backstory. I won't get into it because Aaron hasn't read it yet. So maybe next episode uh, we'll be able to, to throw that in there too and see, see what our thoughts are on that. Uh, but yeah, the movie was starred Yule Brenner and it was in the seventies. And uh, I don't know how, how well it was received, but uh Yep, Michael Crichton, Jurassic Park. Oh wait, West Westworld is just Jurassic Park with robots. <gasps> it is. Oh my god, it is. Stop it. Don't. All right, you want to give us a breakdown of episode five? Now that Jay has blown my mind, yes, we're going to get into it. We're going to talk um, about episode five, infected memory. And so what happens in this episode is we're really getting into the dynamics of um, Marcus as the new leader of the Mithraic. Um, he is leading Sue and the rest of the order on a rescue mission to get the children. Um, they end up... Oh, what happened? Why am I blanking on this all of a sudden? Um, you know, they kind of have a conversation, Sue and Marcus, about the voices that Marcus has heard in his head. And they um, kind of, like, have a moment where they're a little spooked by it. You know, they can't really explain it, and especially for atheists. Um, they have potential, quote-unquote, spiritual experience. Just the whole thing's a little up in the air at the moment. Um We've got back at the settlement, we've got um, mother and father kind of bickering um, as they're trying to figure out stuff with the kids. We've got basically um, Paul and Campion starting to form some tensions between each other as they have grown to be friends, but are starting to notice that they disagree about some things. Um, so that's kind of an interesting new storyline. Mother is continuing to go back to the um, Mithraic, like Matrix-like um, interface, and she keeps going back. And we see her kind of relive these memories of um, how we get. We kind of get Mother's um, origin story. A little bit um, in these hidden memories she's got in a memory bank that reveals the full import of her mission, and that's a real that was a real fave of mine in this episode. Um, the Mithraic discover a part of the ship that they find an individual who was placed into um, he was placed into prison with an android and like in custody and he was supposed to be um i believe put to death for raping women while they were 
under, um, while they were, you know, sleeping and on, wait, on the journey. And so that didn't happen. And so now they have him and there's some, um, talk in, there's some talk amongst the group about, um, carrying out his sentence, his death sentence. And Marcus decides, no, he may be useful. We're going to need him to use him against the necromancer. Um, so that's kind of everything that goes on in episode five. Did I miss anything, Jay? No, I don't think so. Okay. It was jam packed. There was a lot in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to get succinct, uh, story when they get, now that we're on the dual, we're, it's really every episode after the first couple's dual storylines happening per episode. Yeah. Um, so it, and it bounces kind of back and forth. And I think it kind of brings me into my first thought, right? It's because there's kind of some dual trajectories going on in my mind between Marcus and mother, you know, uh, mother and Marcus, both atheists, Mm. Uh, seem to be starting to have some questions of faith uh, on whether or not they believe in Saul. And I think that's interesting. And the mother, mother's approach is not as, you know, she's not hearing the voices like Marcus is, but, but there's things that's making her start to seem to feel that way. Um, So I think that's interesting how instead of doing like one whole episode on mother and father, one whole episode, on the Mithraic, I like the dual trajectories they're on and how, you know, at some point we know there's, well, we'll talk about that after episode four, where it, more and more they're starting to merge together. Uh, but what are, uh, what are some of your initial thoughts on this? I, I love, I love layers. I love layers in a story. And this one, you know, again, with the dual trajectories, like you're saying, I'm enjoying the parallels of the story and the layers within that. So I'm really enjoying um, how they're kind of paralleling like the similarities between the human and the Android relational bickering, you know, you're seeing between Sue and Marcus and then mother and father. Um, that parallel between now it's interesting what I'm seeing and we'll get into it in episode six, I think more, it's more obvious, but for me, I guess what I'm starting to see is this parallel. I thought almost between mother as a human mother. And now I think finding seeing her backstory in episode five and her emotional growth and Sue, because Sue is like, she's almost like tunnel visioned on finding Paul. And you're starting for me, and I don't know, we'll get into this somewhere maybe, but like Marcus wants to find the kids and he wants to find Paul, but he's not as motivated, internally motivated, it feels like, as Sue. There's a couple like little scenes in episode five and six where like, I don't know, they almost give off the impression like, yeah, Marcus wants to find the kids, but like not as bad as Sue wants to find Paul. I think, here's what I think. What? I think she's so driven emotionally by her love of him that she's willing to do anything. And I think he's trying to approach it from a logical, tactical standpoint. Like, okay. I think he's yeah. doing very much that military thing of, Hey, don't let my emotions get in this. I can't get three people killed to get one kid. 
right? That right. we're already small in numbers where she is like, whatever it takes, just get in there and get them. Like, it doesn't matter. Uh, that's our son. We have to get, you know, she doesn't, I think what we're seeing is her not care as much about the, the whole group. I think the, the emotional yeah. attachments make, made her. So like you said, tunnel visioned on saving Paul is like, screw the big picture. That's our boy. And we got to get him. And I think that's where I'm seeing the parallels between mother and Sue being maternal figures. And you see that in mother's programming, her mission, Mm -hmm. right? Is to protect the children at all costs, whether it's getting father out of the way. If he's a liability, he's gone, you know, whatever. And Sue's kind of doing that now too, where you're starting to see that where she's like so fixated on it. So um, that's what I'm noticing. Um, But I really am enjoying watching i'm really enjoying watching uh the evolution of mother's story and now the evolution of her character as right she kind of there's all these like there's all these mentions where she has these moments of being like talking about her creator and like you know, it's just the parallel of like, you've got these atheistic figures who are kind of dipping into spirituality. Um, and that, and I, I am a really appreciating it. And then just watching her through the whole episode was really enjoyable. Yeah. It is interesting how she kind of uses more biblical terms. Uh, yeah. Not the guy that reprogrammed me, my creator, you know, it's, it's much more biblical than it is scientific. Right. But with those trajectories, it is interesting. And in from the motherhood aspect, her and Sue uh, seem alike. And then uh, father and Marcus seem to be a little more, you know, and I think that's some male female dynamics uh, in there as well. A little more logical, a little more tactical. What's the bigger uh picture let's not get so tunnel visioned in our love that that you know so i think they have that approach but then philosophically i think it's flip-flop where mother and marcus uh from the religious ideology standpoint are in line and sue and father are in line with one another so there's some really interesting crisscrossing and i think it's like uh man people aren't black and white you know, they're right. not just simply defined by these things. A relationship doesn't define their way of thinking. Um, so I, I think that's really, I do. I think it's super cool how they're telling these dual stories and how much uh, similarities everybody has, right? Different yeah. things they have in common, not all the same things. But I think that's super interesting and deep. Yeah. There's a lot more common ground between the characters and they realize themselves. And I think this is true for most of culture and society is like when we really look at it or when we kind of take a step back and look at the bigger picture through a different lens, we see there's a lot more common ground and we actually share a lot more of the gray area than we do the black and white sides of it. That's true. After that last presidential debate, everyone agreed that was awful. (laughs) Unity. We were unified together uh, by a train wreck. Quite a circus. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like that. (laughs) Our our bonding. Um, Another thing, like I'm really starting to like Marcus. And I know I've made a lot of mentions. That he's not a major man crush. I do. Uh, he's very, you know, I keep saying he's, 
is he like Ragnar Lothbrook from Vikings? Same actor. I don't know. Maybe it's just his style. Uh, but when he saves um, the religious rapist, right? Because <laughs> it's okay because God told him to, right? That was his argument. Yeah. Paul told him to do it. Paul um, told him to do it and then stopped after he got condemned. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, stop talking to him after that. Oh, boy. But, yeah. right, when he saved that guy, that was such a Ragnar Lothbrook thing to do. Like, don't kill this guy. Well, use him as a weapon and he can blow up then. See what I'm saying? Then we're uh, not in danger. <laughs> right? So it was all like a very tactical, what's the bigger picture? How can I use this guy to our yeah. advantage? Um, and, and after that, I was immediately, I was like yelling out loud. I'm like, he's Ragnar in space. This is oh. Ragnar Lothbrok in space, full on Vikings. He's just missing his Viking armor uh, army. So uh, that's one thing that stood out to me. But speaking of, I don't even know. They may have said his name, and I, I didn't write it down. Uh, the, the the guy in the helmet who, um, you know, was uh, ra- raping the uh, girls while they were in their sleep because Saul told him to spread his seed. Uh, is now in a very iron mask, iron, uh, you know, man in the iron mask type of uh, imprisonment where, which really cool how they did it. There's an android associated with it, like you mentioned, but the android said, if you destroy me, the mask will uh, crush his head in. If you try to take the mask off, the mask will crush his head in. You know, it's like you can't do anything with it, but... Right. Knowing that this and this guy wasn't like, I, I did it because Saul told me to did it. This guy was like in his convictions. He's like, I have no problem with what I did. Saul commanded that I do it. Deal with it. And on top of that, I want to know who the dude is playing this guy. Because he has this really deep, like he's a frightening character and he can't yeah. do anything to anyone. Uh, so in my notes, I said, we have a bad guy and he's intense and he's secretive. <laughs> like, cause we don't really have a bad guy in this story. We have two groups yeah. facing off who have, who we're learning more and more about. And, um, we, I like all of them. Like, I don't think one of them's a bad guy yet or one's a good guy yet. I think they're just these two people with opposing cultural views. Uh, but this dude's a bad guy. Uh, yes. this guy's about, and he's, he's pretty scary. Like he's a pretty intense guy. I, I don't know if it is. I thought it was the guy that played the hound, uh, on game of Thrones by his voice. Um, and if so, I think there's going to be like a big reveal, you know, cause people are going to go nuts if it's the hound from, uh, from game of look Thrones. It up. Okay. So we shouldn't look it up. I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I might be totally wrong. That's just who I thought it was based off of his voice. Is, is that Do you kind want of, to be surprised? I don't know. <laughs> okay. I'm going to let us be surprised. All right. Good news. I, I don't, I can't remember the guy's name to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, riff off something you said about mother's backstory too. Yeah. On some of my thoughts there. Uh, create I just have creator down but it was interesting her creator I don't know I want to learn more about that yeah he just seemed like a dude that that made a weapon that shot down a necromancer 
Yeah. And then he rewired a necromant. Like he didn't seem like this big important figure. He seemed like a hacker who has this very better than thou worldview who is going to turn this war machine into, you know, he, he thought he called her the mother of all humanity. Like he thought she was going to save humanity. Right. Um, but is it like he's just in like this dumpy building? It's just him doing work on on her, you know, robot body, android body. Right. What's the deal with that guy? What's his What's his story? What's his thing? Why is he? You know, is he even important, or is he just a guy who thinks his worldview is the the worldview? So okay, that was well, interesting. Got the truth with everybody, right? Um, uh, that's so interesting. You said, okay, so she, the necromancer seemed to know his name when mother was a necromancer for the Mithraic. Cause remember the necromancers for those who are listening, the necromancers are Mithraic, um, creations. This atheist hacker takes one down and then he, He's trying to do whatever, but she knows his name when he, when he speaks that she's like, Oh, you're the traitor and you wasted your parents' good education and this, that, and the other on it. How dare you, you know, and she kind of makes a big deal about it. Now that leads me to believe that he is some sort of well-known no, that's interesting. I guess I, I took that like, oh, he's in the laundry list of people laundry, it, in yeah, her, in her uh, Android database to uh, to destroy. Well, and I was going to say now when, although how would they know, but like he wasn't like the point being is that when Marcus was talking about how they had control of a necromancer, I think they made mention where they were like, ah, oh, an atheist must have reprogrammed this necromancer. But it, so it was like some atheist must have reprogrammed. It wasn't like the one hacker, you know, Mithraic turned atheist Campion Sturgis is the only one who could have done such a thing. So you're right. It could be like a laundry list of people. It could not just be like, he was like some, it wasn't like Neo and like everyone knew who Campion Sturgis was. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm intrigued. I hope we get more of his story. And they, hey, that could be something they hang on to for season two, which we know it's been renewed for. So uh, yeah. we'll see. We'll see if we get more of that. But you you, you did mention, they, they did say his name, right? Campion, which is interesting because that's their sole surviving son's name is Campion. But what's interesting is when she plugs into the ship and uh, – flashes back to that memory she flashes back to the memory where campion her creator wipes her memory uh so that, there's some interest i don't know it's kind of interesting that he said i'm wiping it but maybe it's just like like on your computer you know you like put this to trash but then you open the trash and like it's still full of stuff. <laughs> like the internet, uh, man, it's never really truly gone forever. Yeah, so I wonder if it's, it's something like that. Because obviously, right out the gate, it was in her head. She named one of the kids Campion. 
Right. And she made a comment in episode one when they were trying to name the kid. They were like, oh, we have to name the weakest member our something's name. But they didn't say creator. Maybe she did. I'd have to go back and watch. I I didn't take much note of the line. You know what I mean? I didn't either. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. But I'm really, I am in like, yes, I'm very much enjoying this little subplot and this little, you know, this hidden memory she has in this story. And as it's going on, because you really get to see her develop emotions and not only emotions, but emotional connection to a human. Although I was super distressed when that one scene popped up, I was going to, I was going to text you and be like, I'm not watching this anymore. Um, there's a little bit of a distressing scene where he's trying to like test her and see how her emotions are. And he hands her. <laughs> yes. I was like, what scene? Oh yes. And then she like bends the head backwards. And I was like, Oh, that's what I was going to text you and be like, I'm not watching this anymore. But then she was like, you gave me an Android baby. And I was like, I'm still bothered by this, but less bothered because it's not supposed to be a real baby, but I still don't like it. Jay Hoffman. I didn't Jay. write it. <laughs> I know. Somehow I'm blaming you for it. That's okay. Everybody blames me for it. Yeah. But no, I mean, like, I'm, I'm enjoying watching her because the first couple episodes, she's kind of this, like, she's kind of a hard to like character. Yeah. Cause we don't know what's going on in there. She's not very trustworthy. She's kind of, obviously she's dangerous. Um, she's like, kind of feigning emotions at time. And then in this episode, you see like a huge emotional range and like, I would say authentic emotion from her where you're like, Oh, like she's kind of developing feelings for her creator and like an emotional connection and bond. And I was like, wow. And you're watching her then relive it and experience it. it which is interesting. Cause later in the episode, I don't remember exactly what father did, but father, she asked why father did something. And he says, I do things to take care of the children and for your happiness. And mother says, that's not possible because we're androids. I don't have happiness. And he says, well, I disagree and walks off. I think that is a really, right. We're talking about how they're starting to develop these emotions. Are they real? or Are they fake? She's fighting the idea that she's actually feeling emotions. And I think father is accepting it. You know, he's like, I, uh, these are real, right? I'm, I might be an android. I'm feeling these things. I care about the children. I care about your happiness. These are the things I want, right? Not, I don't think he any longer believes it's that I'm programmed because it started off as, you know, my job's to take care of you, right? And your job to take uh-huh. care of me. But now it's, I do it for your happiness, not just to take care of you. I want you to feel something, feel an emotion. So, yeah, we're seeing her develop them, but she's so full-on denial um, about them. Now, I've got another, I've got another perspective on that. I could see it also as like you've got father who is a little more like rational, logical, and more um, even keeled, more in, androidish, even though even though like he's been the more likable parent and character and Android. But, um, you know, I wonder if that scene, you could also extrapolate out of it 
where you've got, you have people who are running their lives like robots and they're like, yeah, I do this for my kids and I do it for happiness. And they're like, hashtag happiness. Like I'm happy, but like, they're just going through the motions. Yeah. And then you have mother who exactly like, she's very like matter of fact, like, no, no, no. Happiness isn't a thing. And then you have this juxtaposition where she is to your point, actually in that moment now experiencing those real emotions. I mean, she's shedding tears and she's actually feeling it, not just going through the motions of saying this is happiness or this should give me happiness or this should be my priority and blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. That's kind of something that just popped into my head. You guys will have to watch and see what you guys think about that. Yeah. Give us your take. Let's know what you think. Um, what else happened that episode? Oh, we had a third sighting of Tally. Uh, yeah. Being their daughter who fell in the hole, the deep, never ending holes that are all over this planet. Um, yep. We had our third sighting. One of the girls was playing hide and seek with her. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so we get another sighting. Still don't know what's happening, what's going on there. Uh, but that's interesting. And then on the, the flip side of that, we also learned there, besides the creature, we know there were creatures on this planet because there's bones everywhere, large, giant creatures. Uh, we've only seen the one type of creature that they've already killed and eaten and all that good stuff. Uh, but the Mithraic uh, discover uh, a, a cave, I don't know exactly what fort thing made out of like bones and stuff, right? But they there's oh, yeah. a person there. There's a person there. We never see them. They move really fast. Uh, and they start to go, is that a human? Is that not a human? Is it, is it what was it? Uh, right. They don't know what it is. So we're starting to learn they're not alone, right? There's more stuff happening on this planet. And what I really like about all this is this, there's a lot, right? This is sci-fi trying to be very, you know, realistic with the science fiction, but also juxtaposing it with all these really subtle uh aspects of religion that that very biblical right very fantastical uh things that you know we would never associate with like a realistic type of you know get our star trek and star wars fans and start crossing you know that's what it is right star trek's the science-based star wars fantasy this is kind of entering the territory but very very subtly uh and i love it Yeah, I know. I agree. And that's a hard balance to create. And it also like each side challenges the other. The mystical challenges the logical. The scientific challenges, you know, what we can see and prove and reproduce challenges what we can't and what we know. And, you know, like we see that with like what Marcus is hearing in his head, like no one else is hearing that, Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. One of the things we also got to mention too is that we end up with a with a sex scene at the end of this episode. It gets steamy in the in the Mithraic matrix with, between mother and um mother and uh, Campion, her creator that she has developed clearly is having like an emotional affair with by the end of oh. this episode. 
That's the next episode that that. No, did I mess that up? That's okay. Yeah. I only know because I started taking notes on this episode. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, she was definitely having an emotional affair. Sorry to anyone. I mean, you were going to listen to the episode anyway, but um, <laughs> definitely in episode five, by the end of episode five, like she's clearly having an emotional affair. Like you can tell she's starting to like, um, kind of like stare off in the distance and like kind of lose herself and father starting to notice a little bit, like while they're doing tasks and be like, what are you doing? Like, what are you thinking about? Yeah. Well, as I got one last note and then if you have anything else, then we can do the breakdown. No, I just, well, I ruined it with the sex scene thing. So that's all I got. Listen, nothing's ever ruined by the sex scene. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they did, the Mithraic did find some part of a, a thing that they, they learned they could turn into a weapon uh, to try and fight Mother, to, to defeat a necromancer. So I thought that was an, you know, they really, he's like, hey, we can do this and this, and we can use this as a weapon uh, against Mother, which happened near the end of the episode. So I wanted to get that that part in there, because it's starting to get to the point, it's like, how the hell are they possibly going to fight mother? Like, how, it's not possible. How would they possibly defeat her? So uh, right. they, they put that, uh, that thing in there. And plus there's this, when we see her backstory um, of when she's, um, when she gets captured originally during the war on earth. Uh, we see that she can be taken down. So, you know, they kind of plant some seeds to let us know they're not completely uh, invincible, but just wanted yeah. to get that in there. Want to uh, give us the breakdown of episode six? Yeah, so episode six is called um, Lost in Par- or Lost Paradise. Okay, so something that's interesting is these episodes are directed by a different person each two episodes so now these episodes five and six are um directed by sergio mimica gizan i apologize if i butchered that name but like the first two were ridley scott the second two were luke scott his son and now it's this different director so i kind of like that too and then the next two episodes are going to be directed by someone else as well so i like i like that that they're throwing in there as well So in episode six, mother's prolonged absence from the settlement and her time spent interacting with this um, in the matrix with this digital projection of her creator in the Mithraic um, matrix as we're calling it, or their simulator is starting to be noticed by father. It's starting to be picked up on. Like now we're really getting into like kind of that picture of like, like you've got an Android who's who's having an affair essentially um most definitely emotional and then ends up turning into a little bit of a physical affair so it's interesting um it's threatening the safety of the colony you know father keeps kind of being like hey you've been gone a long time um and so and actually there's an interesting point in this i will get into it in a little bit but um marcus's plan to destroy mother with that so they find out um that mother is they find the simulator bed and that um they they have been watching mother leave the colony because they've been spying on the settlement um 
the Mithraic have been spying on the settlement for a few days now. So they know that she's leaving for a period of time every day at the same time going to the same spot. So they see that she's plugging into the simulator. They're not going to use this weapon against her. And they've got a plan to destroy mother while she's plugged into the simulator. That goes awry. That does not go well at the end of the episode. And while they're doing that, um, while they're doing that, tensions grow between Paul and Campion. Um, they kind of have an issue. They have a fight. They have a physical fight. And also, Sue, at, by the end of the episode, when they're trying, when the Mithraic are trying to kill Mother and destroy her, Sue and some of the other Mithraic um, military personnel are at, are at the settlement waiting for the, I guess, the green light to go in and rescue the children. And so uh, there is an attack on the settlement because they think that the rest of the Mithraic are dead. They go in, they kind of rush it. Father gets involved. He's trying to protect the children. Um, Sue ends up getting Paul. And all of the children throughout this kind of reveal their true loyalties. Hunter ends up uh, helping the Mithraic soldiers shoot and destroy father. He's, you know, dies, expires again by the end of the episode. And then Marcus is finding himself grappling with the leadership of the Mithraic, the voices in his head, um, and his relationship with Sue and Paul. So Paul goes back to the colony by the end of the episode and tries to get mother's eyes in an attempt to help his parents um, destroy her. Does that sum it up? Miss anything? Yeah. And I think the very end too, right? Because they do. Uh, she doesn't have her eyes, so she can't turn necromancer. And right. Marcus hits her with an axe thing. But he yeah. doesn't completely destroy her because he starts to hear voices that says, let her live. Let her live. Yes. Which then I was like, I got to wait. I got to wait to watch the next episode now. Uh, interesting thing about the director you mentioned. He's, he's, uh, looks like he's one of Steven Spielberg's boys. First, first uh, unit director, first assistant director for Spielberg. Um, first assistant director on one of the movies that I'll mention later, um, as one of the influences that I heavily saw on, uh, these two episodes, which is interesting. Mm. I did not know that. So you were giving us the rundown, and I, I decided to look that director up. So I was like, oh, "Nice, that's one of the ones I put down." Um, yeah. So this is the one where she's making sweet, sweet Matrix love with her creator, which is Freud <laughs> would have a field day. Um, what I I thought was interesting was when that was happening in the Matrix world, she was human. She had a human body. She didn't just have the, right? Because they kind of have the spandex suit and underneath it, it's a very androgynous body. She had right. a naked woman's body. Like it was, she was a human. Yeah. When she was, and I think that's, you know, very intentional, not just because there's certain logistics, you know, to make sexy time happen that <laughs> she had to have a human body. But I think it was also, yeah. that's her vision. I think that was to show she was feeling those emotions, very human 
uh, emotions and attraction and things like that. So, cause it immediately stood out to me just because you've seen them in their Android bodies and they look kind of weird just cause like I said, it's very, it's kind of mock human, but still very androgynous. It's almost like a mannequin. Uh, yeah. Body. So it really stood out to me when uh, she was human in the vision, which I thought was a, a good take. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. And again, like you're saying, like you want to know more about this campion Sturgis, like more of the time they spent together, more of his programming, more of everything, because how is she having these? I mean, how is she having sexual desires? How is she create, like you're watching her create an emotional bond and now develop in a sexual attraction for this person that she's developed this relationship with and had these memories with. So it's like, how did that happen? I'm so intrigued. I really am. I think, I think this show is so fascinating how it layers that stuff in. Yeah. Um, I I have some short notes. I think I probably should have put more to my notes. Like I wrote, what the hell is up with Tally? (laughs) Oh my God, your notes are hilarious. I'm reading them too. And they're so funny. What the hell is up? Kelly, what are all these voices? <laughs> <laughs> well, we just keep seeing glimpses of her running around. She'll pop in and say something and then just disappear. She doesn't move like she moves very fast, much faster than a uh, human. Uh, everybody's hearing voices everywhere, man, but especially Marcus. Uh, and the voice is, uh, if it's the voice of Saul, Saul has a very creepy voice. Uh, it is not, he, he sounds like a vengeful God for sure. You know, he's got a heavy, heavy, deep voice, but w- I'll tell you one visual thing that really stood out to me was at one point mother was wearing one necromancer eye and one of her normal eyes. Yeah. And it looked, she looked crazy. <laughs> like, yeah. Like yeah. she looked like she was going crazy. And I think it was a really interesting visual of showing, you know, uh, she has one foot being the necromancer, one foot being mother, you know, she's kind of walking the lines of uh, both worlds as caring, nurturing mother and murderous death machine. And I think that's, <laughs> I don't know. And she looked just having the one eye just looks like completely dark. And then the one normal eye, she looked like she was going insane, you know, just visually yeah. it looked that way. So I thought that was a cool. Very Marilyn Manson. Yeah. Very. And, and even, even the, the same body from dope show. So that's good stuff. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, Cause at first I was like, what is, why does she look like she's going berserk? You know, it yeah. took me a minute to figure out what, was going on because she just like it it wasn't her eyes were open normal but it literally looked like she had one wide eye and one kind of squinty eye uh because of how the eyeballs looked in her head so uh i wonder if that was purposeful too to like show you know right now she's she's not only that or like human and android like she's kind of she's walking in and out of those worlds too yeah i i think Every bit of it was intentional. The the look, she's torn, you know, it was a look of like, I don't know what's yeah. going on. I think it was a logical thing too. Like, hey, I might need to turn 
you know, use a little uh, necromancer power to uh, blast some people, you know, in, in a right. moment's notice. I think, yeah, I think there are multiple reasons with the look and the feel of it, but just really, to me, was absolutely eye-catching. And I loved it. Yeah, it was awesome. This show is nothing, if nothing else, visually, visually rich. Yes. And, and I think it also has to, you mentioned battling her emotions. Am I human? Am I android? What oh, yeah. Uh, and, and I feel like instead of accepting it, like we even mentioned in the last episode, like I don't feel like she's accepting. I feel like she's fighting it every inch of the way. And I think she's now even trying to be like, trying to logic her way out of feeling emotions by, you know, anytime she can bringing up program programming, you know, that's what she used yeah. to do. Program. We're not programmed for it. Like it, it's her way of saying, I can't feel this. I'm not programmed to feel this. You know, she keeps saying to um, Tempest, that's so interesting that you're bringing this up. And what's coming up for me right now is when people feel a lot of times people don't want to feel their emotions because they feel like they can't control them or like they don't know when they're going to stop. So something that I hear commonly with people who are needing to grieve, like as far as deaths go or any sort of process, you know, a lot of times they'll kind of push it down and push it down and repress because, and I've heard this from people and it's like, they don't want to get started because they're afraid it's never going to stop and they're not going to be able to control themselves through it. Um, and she keeps saying the Tempest, I've noticed, you're right, you're in control. We know when Tempest is kind of, she's repressing her emotions or she's just showing anger and, you know, hiding that. And Mother keeps being like, you're right, you're in complete control. And she said a couple times, Mother, about herself, that she's in complete control. So that's a great point that she probably is doing more battling than even I'm picking up on. Um, and now that you're saying it, I'm kind of connecting the dots where she is trying hard to control it because emotions feel so uncontrollable, illogical, irrational, um, not serving, you know, in, in conditions and times like this. Yeah. Uh, what else was happening? Oh, one, one other, uh, thing happening on that home front, you know, I, I don't have much more to add on mother, but just mother, father, and the kids, you know, you had mentioned in the last episode, but this one too, Campion and Paul, it's, it's full out fallout. You know, they are, uh, they were becoming buddies with some issues and now they're like not buddies and it's all Campion. Campion's a little, uh, a little, little bit of a jerk, you know. He was a uh, the special only child for a while. He was the one that survived, oh. and then Paul's come on, and Paul's like a super genius kid, you know. He's uh, he's yeah. super smart, and you know he solves some brain puzzle like super fast that it took Campion a while to figure out. He made this trap to catch more of those creatures so they'd have food. He, yeah. And and I think Campion for so long was the special one that he's really jealous of how special he sees Paul as being. Right. And, and I think we're just, and you know, Paul comes from Marcus and Sue Campion from mother and father. So I, you know, it's, I think it's still human raising versus Android raising. And uh, I think, 
that's what they're trying to put out there. It's still, still more of this battle of is it okay for the androids to have uh, been parental figures? Even though the reality is Paul grew up on a ship with technology and all this stuff and uh, right. champions learned to survive in this kind of wasteland like a pioneer. So I think we'll see that relationship evolve as we move on and see that Campion actually is pretty special when it comes to understanding the world that they're on compared to, to Paul, or at least that's what I personally would like to see is a little more juxtaposition, not just how Paul's super smart and Campion's just jealous of it. Cause right. I think, I think it's not just who raised you, but like how, like, the, the conditions yeah. around you that, that raised you. But this goes back to some of the stuff we talked in previous episodes, nature versus nurture. And I think yeah. it's a combination here of uh, the, the parenting and the world around them playing a, a role in it. And I think that's, uh, I think it just more, it's a lot of juxtaposition, right? Showing how we're different, but then also showing how we're the same in so many ways the show seems really good at that yeah i agree and um even between paul and campion like they're having an ethical dilemma of that's funny like we just had time talking about this like i've been a vegetarian for almost 26 years right and so you've got this in this show and like there's lots of other people including you like you like your meat like to eat meat and um I spent a lot of time, and so there's this thing in the show right now that Paul and Campion are arguing over um, killing the creatures for food source. Because remember, there's limited food sources on this planet. I know you got notes on the food sources, so we'll get into that too. But there's um, there's limited food sources that are safe for the humans, and so Campion wants to do everything possible to not eat the living creatures and have to kill them. And um, he doesn't want them to suffer. He's concerned that they may have a soul and he just doesn't, it's not his thing. Ethically, he doesn't, it's an ethical dilemma for him. Paul was raised to believe, you know, and it comes from, there's this moment where he's like, well, it comes from the scripture. They read it out of there. Like animals and these creatures don't have souls. So like, it doesn't matter if they die because they didn't have a soul to begin with. And he's more okay with the killing of this creature for food and he devises a trap um and they're really struggling that's what they have the big fight over and you know like just is it wrong to eat meat you know like am i who am i to say that people are bad people for wanting to eat meat and vice versa and you get a little bit of um it's very interesting there's almost like some like, you know, you get into like the virtue of of things and like where people get tripped up on some of these arguments and it's like, well, both options might actually not be worse or better than the other. They're just different. And so I thought that was interesting because I think like being a vegetarian, I've had to like kind of come to terms with like, you know, there was a time when I was like, you're all murderers. And it's like, that's not, it was a little bit more immature on my point. Like, you know, when I was like a teenager and like wanting to show everybody, like I was making like, I was making, I don't know, pictures and stuff. And I was like, 
it, we'll get into that in another episode, but I was like, <laughs> you're a bad person. I don't like what you're doing and it's making me uncomfortable and I need you to think the way I think. And it's like, these people are like, you're crazy. Get out of my face, vegetarian girl. You know, <laughs> so, finding that happy medium and that balance. Yeah. I also, I think it was interesting too, how it, in that discussion, we, we really see Paul's blind faith uh, to their religion. And then right. we, we see Campion's, uh, even though he's starting to dabble uh, with interest in, in, in what Father said earlier, is let him explore it and let him discover his own yeah. way to, to what we see as the truth, that there is no uh, higher power. And <clears throat> yeah, Campion says, well, who wrote those who wrote yeah. those books that said animals don't? Did humans right. write those books? Where did they get that information? Who told them that? You know, so now he's doing the question everything that father told him. Uh, you know, he said, question, I don't care that you question me. Just be accepting when I give you my final response, you know, and okay. that's coming to fruition right here. Yes. And I have a question for you because you said, I'm going to put you on the spot a little here, but I know you're going to be okay with it. Because the last episode I said like, ah, oh, for the atheists, you know, hope I don't offend. And you were like, I won't be offended. So I assume you're a little bit more atheistic. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm probably agnostic. Uh, I call well, I myself an I don't careist. You know? <laughs> and I don't careist. I love it. So like, I'm a little bit more spiritual, but I've asked this of people who are like atheistic. And I think this is also where we get tripped up is I asked like uh, someone who was an atheist and I said, listen, I'm like, this is just my question. I'm like, if you like, are you opposed to the idea of if you die and you find out like, no, no, there's this God and it was exactly how it was written and everything was the truth and blah, blah. Like, are you open to that? Are you opposed to that? Do you think that that's possible? Or are you so like, are you so clinging to your only belief system that like, this is the way it is. And like, no, 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 this is the truth and only the truth. And he, and this person I was talking to was like, no, yeah, I'm totally open that I could be wrong about it and like end up, you know, in an afterlife and like in heaven or wherever and be like, Oh, okay. And you know, kind of me too. Like I'm more spiritual and it's like, I could be wrong, you know, but what does it matter? You know, I just, so I think that's interesting about the show that you've got that where it's like, well, yeah, question it and not be so tied to your way is the absolute right way. And that every aspect of it is absolutely correct. Like hands down, no bar. Cause you see that with the Mithraic, like they don't really question it at all. Yeah. So what are you putting me on the spot on? Well, I thought you were atheist, so I was going to be like, are you, do you think, oh. you know, I thought you were atheist, so that's why I was going to ask. Like, I'll, I'll clear you- it up. I'll clear it up. I don't currently believe uh, in any of the higher powers mentioned currently, but I'm not opposed to the idea of it. Uh, but I've got uh, like logical issues with the ideas that are, that we currently talk about. Which okay. I can talk to you on the sidebar. Um, yeah, no, so I'm, exactly. I'm open to it. I'm not really an atheist. I'm more like, a, uh, all these options, uh, I don't really, I'm good. You haven't found <laughs> if there's path. another option, cool. Uh, I'll just try to be a good person, do as many good deeds and do as much good in the world and uh, leave a legacy of good behind. And that's what I'm going to do. So that's, that's my path. Yes. 
No, I feel the same way. I'm more spiritual. And so when people are like, well, what if you just believe in BS? And I'm like, so what if I believe in BS, but I lived a good life and I was a good person, the same as you, right? Like the goal is to be the best person that I can be and to do the least amount of harm and take the least amount of shit. Um, but also just like, and then I live a good life and I get to the afterlife and there's nothing. It's like, well, I lived a good life while I was here. Like, that's cool too. Yeah. It was really rad while it lasted, man. There you go. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> um, there's one other thing uh, I wanted to mention, two other things on this episode. Now get to the Mithraic. You know, we kind of talked about mother, father, the kids, but with the Mithraic, one thing that just popped into my head because with mother, father, and the kids, the last couple episodes, it's been about what? What are we going to do for food? How are we going to feed you? Uh, because we learned this one food source uh, wasn't so great that we had. We found some. It's pretty awful to eat. So, you know, right. that's where they got into that argument. But the Mithraic, listen, I get the Mithraic have some technology and they probably have some some version of the MRE or something. But they're not carrying that much stuff with them. Right. They're carrying some stuff. They don't have that. What the hell are they eating? I want to know what they're eating. There's like 20 some people. And, and I've had this discussion with you. I'm a logistics brained kind of person. Right. Right. Logistics win wars, win battles, win discoveries. You know, that's uh, that's General Grant. That was his big contribution. Right. In the Civil War, he cut off supply routes. So he right. starved out uh, of equipment and food. And, and that's what. So this to me is like a, a big thing when they're making it on one front, a big deal about the food. And we just haven't really seen much on the other front. I'm kind of, I'm okay with this Mithraic MRE idea for a bit, but I hope they address that. That's an issue I have with the show currently. They're just not saying anything about it with the larger group that is moving and burning calories right. uh, at a much higher rate than the other group. I love, okay. Military J is on the scene and he is upset about, about the uh the the reality of exactly how this goes down in space especially with a limited food source i get that and speaking of the food i think there was a really interesting scene where that one girl who kind of was like giving marcus googly eyes like your evidence brought you food and like kind of lingered a little bit like for a hot second where sue got a little jealous but like brought him extra food we actually got all of our supplies together to give you extra food. And like, there's a moment when atheist Marcus slash who's really Caleb is kind of enjoying his role as the new religious leader of the Mithraic and the benefits it has. Yeah. And I'll tell you this, there's a, that scene pissed me off and I'll tell you why. Tell me. I thought he was going to go, no, you all need to eat it. And he just took it and was going to eat it. And that's not a good leader. And I don't like that. That made me very upset uh, because I thought he was. Better than that. I do. I did. I thought he was better than that. Okay. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Would Ragnar Lothbrook have given the food back? He'd take care of his people first, I think. All right. Okay. I not Marcus, that. not Caleb, the atheist. He's, 
I think he's struggling in a position like it's also kind of one of those things where you're like, I do so much, you know, screw this other side. I do so much better than what they'd be doing. And then now you're in that position and it's like, Hmm, not really. Yeah. Cause Sue kind of gives him a look too, even though she shared, he shares it with her. Yeah. They get over it pretty quick, but maybe some of it is like, it's like he wants to be their leader. He's also in disagreement with them on a religious level. It's tough. It's tough. There's one other thing I want to talk about that Marcus does that I think is a little upsetting. And that's when he puts Paul sets Paul up to try and steal his mother's eyes. Yeah. Run away. And because to me, he, he has all these flashbacks of being a child soldier. What's he call Paul? My little soldier. I know. And then he's basically repeating his history. You know, he's having uh, Paul act in a soldier capacity instead of his son's capacity. Also though, like, see, I would argue Ragnar would do that. (laughs) He would say, you're my boy. So you can do this because you're of my blood. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and you're capable of doing whatever you, you want to do. That is not the attitude he has. He's like, you're in, bud. You're in. She'll <laughs> never expect it. <laughs> oh, my God. Totally. Yeah, it's for sure manipulative. And, I and you know, I think for me that's me. And maybe it's just because, you know, maybe it's my mom instinct. But that's where I'm going like, oh, he doesn't have that like. Sue is like, what are you talking about? Like, no, you can't do that. We've got him back. Like, let's go. Um, her eyes on the prize and the prize is her son and kind of like screw everything else who she's adopted as her son. His eye on the prize is destroying mother. And so. I think to get the other children too, though. Pardon? I think he wants to get the other children too. Do you think so? I do. Yeah. I, uh. Well, because the atheists don't believe that. Is it is it the atheists or the Mithraic who don't believe that? Um, that don't believe that androids should raise their kids, should raise kids. Uh, the Mithraic. Mithraic don't. Okay. Yeah, um, but you know what? I say it kind of was upsetting that he did that. So I have three kids. I would never ask my oldest or youngest to do that. I would ask my middle kid in a heartbeat, and I'll tell you why. Little kid gets it done. He get it done. He get it done. So I don't know. Maybe they got that kind of bond, right? We see how smart he is. Uh, maybe that's it. Like, but my my middle son is the one who's just like, hey, there's a thing that needs taken care of. I'll go take care of that. And that's a quick story on him, just to give you the. He was like two. I'm putting him to bed. You know, I've got him on my shoulder, patting his back. And mom walks in, is gonna give him a hug, and she kicks a toy in his room. Or she steps on it and then she kicks it to the side and he pops his head up and he looks at her and he goes, Hey, pick it up. Pick up the toy. Stop that's it. it right there. He just takes <laughs> care of it. So I shouldn't say I'd be mad, but the scene was upsetting. But I would definitely send my middle son in there. <laughs> You'd get it done. Well, I think it's like you said, it's like, oh, he's repeating his same past and it's it is painful. It's it's cringeworthy when you see like painful things happen to people who grow up and then in turn repeat and project those painful things onto their children. And then thus the cycle repeats. Yes. Yeah. 
And yeah, so, anything, anything else to add to this episode? Well, you know, let me talk about just real quick with the kids, like mm-hmm. besides Tally and like poor, v- poor Vita. No one believes Vita ever. Poor Vita. Um, Hunter. So I've got notes on Hunter that like much like your notes earlier that were like, what the hell is up with Tally? What are all these voices? Literally my notes go, Hunter is a shit starter. And then it's like mother father tension. And the next note, Hunter is a jerk. Because <laughs> <laughs> he is like, he's so out for himself. Um, he can't do anything. He really doesn't provide anything. Like, he's not useful to the group at all. Um, besides manipulating people and then telling people what to do. And then, you know, he gets in the, they, they're trying to protect the children. Father's trying to protect the children in the um, cruiser or the ship. And then he powers it up and Campion's like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm just powering it up. And then he goes on the loudspeaker and tells them where father is, which is what actually gets father damaged, killed, whatever you want to call it. So I was not real happy with Hunter this episode. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. What was interesting is, Neither were the other kidnapped kids, right? Like, they didn't like that he did that either, which I thought was right. interesting, right? Because they're kidnapped. Uh, right. But I think Father, I think they felt safe with him. I think they felt cared for with him, which is, um, I don't know, it's it an interesting uh, twist there, intriguing that they would feel that, uh, feel that way. What's the uh, Stockholm syndrome, maybe kind of a thing with uh, oh, yeah, yeah, going on there with father? Yeah, could be because mother. I think they they'd turn her in. Yeah, yeah. They, none of them trust all mother. of them. Even Campion right. doesn't trust her anymore. Uh, right. and neither does father. <laughs> I don't think any of them. No, uh, she's in this weird middle ground where it's like nobody trusts her, but the they're, they're like she can blast me into blood dust. So. I'm going to take a hard pass and just try to play nice. <laughs> that doesn't sound pleasant at all. Totally. Uh, so with uh, some of the acting, you know, I think for me, everybody was good. This, I think this is the first time uh, Ethan Hazard, who plays Hunter, I think this is the first time he's really had a little more, uh, more, more meat to chew on and more, more scenes to be in to show his role. And, and yeah. very quickly, uh, we're starting to see this this kid is not likable. He's not like King Joffrey bad, but uh, oh. he's not good. Right. He's unpleasant. I don't know. He's so lazy. He's so lazy. He doesn't lazy bring anything to the table. Nothing makes me more mad than that. He's so better than that, you know, everybody. And he's just but, – but the kid's doing a great job, right? Uh, it's yes. like, that, like, that kid showing, like what happens when there's too much privilege and not enough responsibility. Yeah. I think that's why I brought Joffrey up, right? Both these actors are just like so good at being just not pleasant and nobody yeah. wants to see him and nobody wants to. Yeah. Him. So I think the kid's doing a really good job. Um, yeah. other than that though, I mean, we, we get to see glimpses of the other kids. We're just not getting a lot with them. They're all doing a fine job, but other than Campion and Paul, who've been great, uh, everybody else for me doing a great job. I don't really have much more to add. I just wanted to mention the kid that plays Hunter. 
uh, yeah. in this episode. Yeah, he was great. Uh, I agree. And with the science fiction world of uh, Kepler 22b, you know, just the world as a whole, we're still not, we know there's the tropical zone. We, ain't, we haven't seen any of that business. Uh, we're starting to, you know, we've seen a desert. We've seen kind of the weird desert forest area where the mother and father have the family. Uh, and, and we're seeing the Mithraic kind of navigate around, but we're really not getting, we know it's kind of earth-like. Right. right? But, but other than that, we're not getting uh, too many glimpses uh, of that world yet, but I'd be very intrigued. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see them kind of expand uh, beyond this area uh, that they're, they're currently in. But some of the real world things that I, I think, you know, with Kepler 22B, I mentioned, I listened to another podcast where they get into some of the science on this. And, and what was interesting is they said, we don't, they don't actually know if Kepler 22B is livable what they know is that planet is in close enough proximity to the star nearest by that it could potentially uh, host life. So yeah, I, I just think that's neat that we now think, what do they call it? Geo. Oh, there's a, there's a, there's a whole name for discovering planets that could uh, serve as uh, planets where, where life exists. Right there, it, oh, geo planet something. I don't know. It's I'm not a I'm not a scientist. I don't know this terminology. But that's a whole job now. And what's interesting, they said like 30 years ago, if you'd have mentioned this, it does, they would have laughed at you because it's impossible. Oh, I'm sure. But what they do, Kepler is actually a type of telescope, right? That oh, uh, and and they interviewed the lady who was one of the people who discovered Kepler 22b, and. Yeah, so they have this. They have some mathematic equation where they can figure out the the brightness of the star, the planets in proximity, and all that stuff. So they have a, a number of planets that they think could potentially uh, be livable, but we would never, never know. We're not even close to knowing. So I think that's interesting. But riffing off of that, you know, learning what kind of creatures would be on this planet, you know, I'm really intrigued to, you know, we're getting these mystery creatures, but they're human like, right. right. Humanoid. Even the creature oh. they've, they uh, killed to eat is human. Like some of me kind of feels like it could be some twisted human yeah. thing, but yeah. it's interesting. Like, could you imagine never being on earth and, and uh, like running into a crocodile? be like what the hell is this thing you know so right. i think there's some interesting things you know we're talking kind of sci-fi world real world implications like we're so not <laughs> that's never going to happen in our lifetime right this is multiple lifetimes of of discovery before we get to this point but i think it's a cool thing the show's doing and uh i'd be intrigued by how some of the things that exist on kepler 22b you know the uh the, the geography of the land, the gravity, the, the things that are there for them to eat, right. how that would evolve the life that's on that planet. So I'm hoping that something, you know, in, in addition to seeing human versus Android, in addition to seeing religion versus atheist, it, I think it'll be really fun to see human and Android versus nature. And, and, and what I'm getting yeah. at is I, I think that's the direction the show's eventually going to take. 
Yeah. I think everybody's going to be one big team. And it's going to turn from this weird battle thing to learning to live together to having to survive together. Yeah. That's the direction I think it's going to take. That would be cool. But that's, I don't have a whole lot of other real world implications, but they're planting some seeds, I think, uh, that's going to culminate in us seeing some other life forms on the planet. And I think that'll be really cool. Do you have anything? No, I'm really feeling your, your, um, I'm really feeling your idea there that it's going to be like, this was colonized before and like these humanoid creatures were like something else that like got radioactive or so who knows? I don't know. But yes, I don't really have any other real world implications. This one was, you know, just rife with human experience um, allegories. So, you know, it's much more focused on that, which I think is a more powerful story. Totally. Uh, Film influences. What movies did you see in these two episodes? Um, I was, you know, definitely major, and we've talked about it before. I know I get it, but it was like Blade Runner in my face with like the human, like the human android relationship. I think Mother and Campion developing a relationship and feelings for each other. Campion Sturgis. Sturgis, Campion yeah. Sturgis for creator. Yeah. Um, which I guess that, no, well, a little bit like Edward Scissorhands ish. Dude, without the like sex scene, but like just the like creator. Right, without the sex scene from Edward Scissorhands or from oh from this episode. <laughs> gotcha track. <laughs> that was Vincent Price, so that would have been an interesting <laughs> Come for the show, stay for my convoluted discussion and Jay's jokes. Um, <laughs> just saying. Vincent Price and sex scene could have been something else. Oh my God. That's <laughs> so true. Oh, <laughs> my mind is in a weird place right now. Um, but no, like major Blade Runner themes with the human Android relationship. Um, definitely still the star Wars influence with like that, whether it's tally or not kind of, um, you know, that person, whoever it is, creature running around hiding, And then I don't know, like, just for me, for some reason, I kept feeling like getting whiffs of like interstellar. I don't really know why. I think just when you're looking at the sweeping landscape of the planet in general. um, And then I would actually say with the music composition, these two episodes especially had certain aspects that really gave me the visceral response the like soundtrack from gravity had Mm. like where during certain moments of tension you had, I don't know if it's organ or whatever kind of instrument it is, but like very deep sounding instruments um, that I thought really played on the mood. And I appreciate, I always appreciate a good soundtrack. Nice. Yeah. 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 I noticed the music a lot in these two episodes more than the other ones. Uh, okay. It's very cinematic music. It's not, it doesn't feel like, even though, you know, we mentioned the intro to the show, total hot garbage. Uh, yeah. You know what I think yeah. it is? I think I like the visuals of it. I don't like the song choice uh, that they use. I would agree. I think the visuals could be cool with the right music. It just, um, 
like we mentioned, Game of Thrones, Westworld, Sopranos, man, HBO usually kills it with their intros. And this one just does not, for such a great show, it doesn't live up to it. Um, Film influences I saw, I mentioned Man in the Iron Mask. Let me preface this with saying, I've never seen the movie. I don't know the story. Just the visuals of, I don't know, I'm call him the religious rapist, right? Uh, the visual of that guy in that helmet where he couldn't see anything, uh, this being, you know, very, for being sci-fi, has lots of medieval crusader yeah. you know, type of vibes. Man, the Iron Mask is what popped out. Now, yeah, I totally. didn't, I did not get the Blade Runner vibe you're getting. There were two movies that stood out in my brain with the relationship between the human uh, and the android and with the their relationships and with the emotions are developing one is uh alita battle angel uh, which was uh you know came out last year and if, if you didn't see it it was a a wonderful little gem man i think it was a yeah. really great movie that didn't do nearly as well at the box office as it should have. i haven't seen it it's it's fantastic and i would strongly encourage it okay um I got some vibes there, but also AI, artificial intelligence by Spielberg, I like, I love which AI. that is the movie that the director of these episodes was the first unit director on AI. So, oh. right, AI, we have a boy robot who is programmed to feel emotions. Right. He's reprogrammed to feel emotions. That's very much, um, and, and Alita Battle Angel, she is... A fighting, you know, cyborg, you know, who gets reprogrammed to be good, you know. And, and ah, okay. Some a lot of similarities I'm feeling from those two, but I think Elite is pretty new, so I think probably more AI, especially with the director being the first unit director on that movie. I think it was probably intentional that they uh, wanted that guy in this one. Then the last one I got is Donnie Darko, but hear me out. It's more the way Saul's voice sounds to Marcus reminds me of the screwed up bunny rabbits voice sounds to Donnie Darko. So that's, that's literally it. But I immediately was like, Oh my God, he sounds like the rabbit. Oh my God. That rabbit is terrifying. That voice is terrifying. Not only the mask, the voice. So I could see I thought that was cool how they did that. They made they didn't make the voice this pleasant thing. It's it's rather unpleasant and intimidating. Uh like I said, if it is a god, it's a vengeful god. That is not a that is not a uh I'm putting up with your crap type of god. Where do you think that voice is coming from? Do so do I think it is Saul? I don't do you know. Think it's something or do you think I feel like it's gonna have something to do with the rock? I Ooh, that guy was hearing it on the ship, though. Rapist, religious rapist was hearing it on the ship. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if they're going to have a scientific explanation for it or if okay. going to be, if they're just going to keep layering in some of the religious overtones. I don't know that we're going to find out it's a god named Saul. Okay. I, I'm not convinced that's it, but. I think we're going to learn it's a higher power. And I say higher power, maybe some life form that lives on that planet. Um, yeah. That, can, okay. uh, you know, that has power, something like that. I don't think we're going to learn it's a, a God named Saul. 
Okay. What about you? I, I don't, I feel like the show is going to try to make it not mystical and it, there's going to be some explanation. Like they're going to make it rational, but real life implication. And you're right. It could just be, it could be an alien. It could be something, some other consciousness, who knows real life implications. Like let's remember people, the CIA released footage of unidentified flying objects. They declassified it. I think in like August. And I feel like it just flew under everyone's radar. Like everyone was like, Nobody noticed. I'm like, guys, literally, alien area crafts are like, there's stuff the CIA declassified. So, like, I've gotten into conversations with people where we talk about, like, the mystical stuff. And maybe this is why, too, for, like, uh, Interstellar is popping up for me. But, like, if you haven't seen Interstellar, then fast forward through what I'm going to say. But in Interstellar, in the beginning of the movie, they think what's they're seeing is a ghost and what it really is after the, it's like with quantum physics, it's like, it's someone in the future. So like the, if the voice or whatever, like energy that we think is higher power or a ghost or whatever it is, like, how do we know it's not future technology that's trying to reach back out to us to like guide us? into making better decisions because they've already seen what happens. That's true. And I'm going to say, I hope that's not the path. And I'll, here's what I'll say that you just uh, talked about my least favorite part of interstellar. That was when oh. that was the part for me when it went off the rails and I was like, Oh, this buildup for that. What? That was what we got. Let me say this about Christopher Nolan, who's a great director, but I have been very, very judgmental ever since uh, Dark Knight Rises came out. Because that movie is a hot mess, and nobody ever talks about how it's a hot mess, and they should be talking about how it's a hot mess. And ever since that movie, I feel like Christopher Nolan thinks he's so much smarter than his audience that all of his stories have a... they're, They're... they're touch convoluted. And his brother worked on Westworld. So I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, Maybe sure. I just like a little more simple, straightforward. I don't know. I hated that scene. <laughs> I liked that part. Oh, I hated cool. it so much. I'm like, that, that's this? I don't. Oh, this makes me so mad. <laughs> uh, truth be told, when I saw Interstellar, I was like six weeks pregnant and I cried through the whole movie. And my husband was like, I don't understand this. Like, this is a sci-fi movie. Why are you crying? And I'm like, this is so sad. And he was like, is this how the whole pregnancy is going to go? Like, I don't, is this it? I didn't sign up for this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He was like, I mean, this was literally a movie about space. You're crying. (laughs) Sure enough, it got rougher for him. Um, (laughs) Okay. Well, that's all I got for this. All right. That was a long episode, but it was a good episode. So, uh, hey, you want to give us a rundown on what we got coming up on flashbacks for October? OMG. The Front Row Network in general has a ton of stuff coming out in October. It's like everyone's favorite month. Flashbacks. We've got going um, Return of the Living Dead, 
one of my faves. And also we're going to do a flashbacks and classic crossover with The Shining. Um, so that should be a great, great, great time. So what about you? Yeah. Well, first, I'm very excited. I just finished The Shining. I read the book. Um, and okay. they're going to be doing a 40th anniversary showing at our theater. And I bought I tickets it. for that. Awesome. So I'm excited to see that on the big screen. Hopefully not crowded theater and very yeah. spread out theater. Um, but I, I wanted to see that on the big screen. So we're going to make a date of that. So we're going to watch it on the big screen before we review it. So I'm excited about that. Uh, but like, uh, like Aaron mentioned, we got 27 monster cast episodes. So monster cast, that's just, that's, that's our Halloween horror movie, uh, overload. So every show is doing multiple, uh, horror movies and please check out our episodes when they get posted but you can find our main podcast feed the front row network on facebook uh, you can subscribe to our feed on spotify or whatever you use to access your podcast just look up front row flashbacks uh, we can also be found on npr illinois website under the community voices tab and you can follow us on twitter at front row reviews with a z also, you can find our Patreon on the Front Row Network's Facebook page. So if you like what we're doing here and uh, some of the rest of our shows and you want to hear more of it, we want you to join us as a patron. We want you to join us as part of a team, uh, make a financial contribution, get the opportunity to pick episodes and maybe even be on some episodes as well as additional content. Uh, once again, thanks for, for joining Aaron and myself, and we will see you all in the Front Row. Just like love will do. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Front Row Network, a proud Community Voices member of National Public Radio Illinois. For more from the Front Row Network, including our articles or our other dozens of shows, visit thefrontrownetwork.com or nprillinois.org slash programs slash network. You can also find us on social media by searching for the Front Row Network on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, and on Twitter at Front Row Reviews with a Z.